Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. There's a lot in life that I'm really thankful for, and one of those things that I'm really thankful for are those opportunities in life when I do something that I didn't feel like I was capable of doing, or you're able to accomplish something that you didn't really feel like you could do. And sometimes those things are by choice, and sometimes they are by necessity or some combination of the two. It was over a decade ago that a doctor handed my wife and I our little baby girl for the first time. And I remember that moment like it was yesterday, and I'm holding this little baby, and I'm looking into her eyes, and she's so cute and this overwhelming sense of emotion comes over to me and the primary question that I have in that moment is what have we done Um, we're not ready for this and then a short four years later we're holding our son for the first time and I look at his sweet little face and the same question comes to my mind what have we done we're not ready for this. And no one can prepare you for how fast the time goes. No one can prepare you for how many times you're going to be thrown up on. No one can prepare you for how long it takes to just get them from point A to point B. If you have preschoolers or kids and you brought them with you to church today, give yourself a pat on the back. I mean, it's just a a, a beautiful act that you made it this far today. It was also a decade ago that I remember taking a step of faith in launching our first campus here at Rolling Hills Community Church. And some of the people that helped us back in 2014 are still in the room today. And we put together a small group of people and we started a campus at Edmondson Elementary called our South Nashville Campus. And in 2016, we moved over here to Nolensville, to Nolensville Elementary. And then in 2019, we merged with Revived Church and started meeting in the building behind you that we now refer to as the Connection Center. And then in 2023, we started right here in this brand new building in February, just a few minutes, a few months ago. And I can attest alongside all of you who have been a part of the journey for quite some time that we stepped into something that we didn't really feel capable of doing. And I wasn't really sure that I understood what was going on, but God, God has been faithful. And because of the faithfulness of God, we continue. It's starting something that you've never done before. And starting something you've never done before is scary. 
I remember back during the height of the COVID pandemic, like many of you, maybe, I don't know, maybe I was alone in this, but I found myself sitting around a lot more than I wanted to. And I found myself eating ice cream a lot more than I wanted to. And then I found myself being much more winded uh, when I was trying to play with our kids. And so I just thought, ah, something's got to change. And so a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go on a run. And uh, I thought that was a really stupid request. And, um, and still to this day, I think it's kind of stupid. But I started doing it. And then eventually I signed up for a 5K and then a 10K and then a half marathon and then a full marathon. And I don't share that with you to brag because none of those were pretty. Um, Contrary to what my mom thought, the night before my marathon, she called me and actually had the audacity to ask if I thought I would win the race. (laughs) I was like, the only thing I won was not being mowed over by the street sweepers, you know, who were cleaning the streets at the end of this thing. But all that to say, you better believe there was a sense of thanksgiving and a sense of awe in being able to do something that you never thought you could do. But it's not just physical things, and it's not just family things. From a spiritual perspective, we have these moments, don't we? Where you step out and you do something you've never thought that you could do. I would venture to say there are people in this room right now that you read the Bible, and two years ago you weren't reading the Bible. And there's been a spiritual discipline that has formed in your life. Some of you have invited people to church, and they're here with you today. And you've never done that before, and you took the courageous step of inviting a friend to church. Thank you for doing that. Or maybe they haven't shown up yet, and you're going to continue doing that. It takes a step of courage. For some of you, two years ago, you were not exercising the spiritual discipline of tithing, which is this biblical precedent of giving 10% of your income back to God to be used for ministry and mission and connecting people in the life of the local church. And maybe two years ago, you thought, that's a really silly practice. But now you've seen how others have benefited from your generosity, but how you've been changed in the process as well. There's these moments that we encounter where we think to ourselves, I'm not really sure I can do this. But with God, it has not just stayed out there in the kind of ethereal place, but it's become possible. And I've seen what God has done. We're at the season of life of our church right now where we're asking you to do something that honestly might seem impossible to you. We are in the series called Next, but it's not just a series, it's an initiative in the life of our church where we're seeking to just discern and understand, God, what do you have for us in the next 20 years in the life of Rolling Hills? And we're calling this Next, and Next is all about laying the foundation for that work. It's all about just seeking to to be a part of what God wants to do, some initiatives, some projects across all of our Rolling Hills campuses. And there's something for everybody in this campaign and in this initiative. Here at Nolansville, we have some things that we want to do. We want to continue to make some improvements to our campus. We want to connect our buildings together. We have this building behind you that's called our Connection Center. And that Connection Center eventually is going to become the main point of entry for our campus. And it'll be a place where you can gather. It'll be a place where you can connect with one another. Our baptismary will continue to be over there. Conference rooms will be available. Our staff offices will eventually move into some of those rooms. It's going to be a very cool multi-purpose use space. That'll be available in the week for student gatherings and men's groups and women's groups. I'm so excited about it. We're going to outfit that space and we're going to wear it out and use it for the kingdom work. But it's not just Nolansville, our Franklin campus. We're going to be building a new auditorium and seeking to expand our kids ministry space there so that we can reach more and more people for Jesus. 
at our Columbia campus. We just moved into a new building two weeks ago, and there's some much-needed improvements that we need to make to that building at our Nashville campus. It's going to be the completion of an outdoor amphitheater and the renovation of our gymnasium for more ministry in Nashville. And then at our newest campus, Haywood Hills, we're going to be launching a brand-new Rolling Hills Community Center 10 miles from where you're sitting right now a place where you and your family and your community groups can go and serve the community of South Nashville, where we can aid in those who are downtrodden. We can offer financial literacy classes, ESL classes, helping people uh, with resources and food and clothing and holiday help, and your family can be a part of that. And next, our capital campaign initiative, it's all about all of these projects that we seek to understand and discern and trust that God wants to do as one church in many locations, taking a step of faith and saying, God, what is it that you want to do? And for the next three weeks, we're going to continue to cast this vision. And then as Pastor Jacob said this morning on Sunday, November 12th, my hope and my prayer is that you would say, you know what, I'm ready to take a step of faith to be a part of that. And my prayer is that 100% of us will want to be a part of that. And not just us as adults, but your teenagers and your kids, that we would instill in them a desire to be generous. And through the text that we're going to be studying today in Nehemiah chapter 5, I hope that you catch the vision. And I hope that you catch the value system that Nehemiah espouses here. Because Nehemiah chose to live his life in a way that you and I can learn a lot from. And when we look at the life of Nehemiah, there is something that is so good for us that I think will change the trajectory of our lives if we just adopt the principles that the Lord has for us. And so my prayer is that we would be compelled to want to be a part of what it is that the Lord wants to do. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. A lot of them are printed there for you in your worship guide. And as you're headed that way, maybe you're with us for the very first time today, and Nehemiah is just a name that you have heard of. Or maybe you've never heard of this book of the Bible, and there's some kid that goes to school with your kid, and his name is Nehemiah. And that's the only context that you have for this. Nehemiah is a fantastic book of the Bible. If you've never read this book of the Bible, I would encourage you this afternoon to start reading it because it is so good. But the kind of 30-second version of what Nehemiah is all about is Israel has been taken captive, or they were taken captive, I should say, by Babylon. And Babylon are the bad guys. When you see Babylon in Scripture, that always represents the bad guys. And they were taken captive by Babylon, and they were exiled out of Israel into Babylonian territory. And throughout the course of a couple decades, uh, the kings of Babylon began to be impressed upon by God that we should probably let them go and let them go, leave exile, let them head back to Israel to rebuild their lives. And so this group led by Ezra comes back and rebuilds the temple. They start rebuilding the lives of the people. And then there's this guy, Nehemiah, who steps up to go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem because the walls had been beaten down. And when your walls are beaten down as a city, you don't have any fortification anymore, meaning that you're really open for the attacks of the enemy. And so Nehemiah goes back and he starts rebuilding the walls. And he calls people from different skill sets and different backgrounds and different trades to come and be a part of this. And as you can imagine, it was met with opposition. Not everybody was as excited about this work. I mean, have you ever experienced that? You've been excited about something and not everybody's as excited about it as you are. Uh, You're in good company. I mean, there's so much biblical precedent for that. And so he starts rebuilding this wall and he starts calling people. But Nehemiah led with integrity from start to finish. And there's something about the way that he led that can radically change us if we seek 
to be kind of in tune with that type of godly leadership. So in Nehemiah chapter 5, picking up in verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 9. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry, and I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're going to teach us today as we open ourselves up to whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts and in our lives today. God, we thank you that you are here, and we pray that we would be attuned to you today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. And amen. So the Rebuilding is happening. And what you see here in chapter 5 is an internal struggle. You have this group of Israelites who, in some form or fashion, they're kind of starting to turn on one another. And they're starting to fight with one another. And there's some infighting and there's some injustice that is happening amongst their own people. Because these rebuilding efforts, there are... They don't, they don't come cheap. I mean, there's kings and nobles who are paying for this work. Nehemiah has raised the support and raised the projects and, you know, has been able to fund these things. But it took the Israelites actually doing the work. And if you're out building the wall and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls of the temple, that means that you can't do other work. And because they couldn't do other work, their basic needs were not getting met. And the basic needs of their family, whether it was lodging or food or all of those things that are just what we would call basic necessities, they're struggling to provide those needs for their families. And it says in verse 3 that some of the Israelites, they start mortgaging their fields in order to be able to pay for grain. And it says that others are borrowing money from really skeezy moneylenders. And they're charging them such exorbitant rates of interest that they don't own anything anymore. And all they're doing is paying these really high interest rates to be able to provide grain for their family. Did you all know that that happens all the time still here today? Patrick Hamilton, our Haywood Hills campus pastor, told me that if you drop a pin at our Haywood Hills campus within a three-mile radius of our campus, there are nine moneylenders who are preying on people this way. It's part of the reason that the community center is such an important work for us because we want to help, help people understand financial literacy, help people provide basic life skills to be able to not have to fall prey to some of these terrible things that people go through. And these Israelites, they're being lent money at these interest rates that they're unable to pay back that debt. And so Nehemiah takes up the case. He takes up this case of the oppressed uh, people because his own nobles and his own leaders were treating their own people unjustly. And if you head back to the text in verse 6 and 7, Nehemiah has kind of discerned the situation, and he says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. 
I pondered them in my mind. Then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Nehemiah saw what was going on, and so he stopped. He didn't just rush into action, but it says he pondered it in his mind. He took some time to think about the situation. There are more recorded prayers in the book of Nehemiah than any other book of the Bible, so I can only assume he prayed about it as well, that he spent some time praying about this. And then here's a little sermon for you. This is just completely ad hoc, just furry for you this morning. What Nehemiah chose to do in that moment is he chose to do a very classic, uh, needed spiritual principle that a lot of us could grow in. He chose to simmer down. He just looked at what was happening around him, and he said, I'm going to simmer. I'm going to stop. I'm going to slow down for a minute. And it says he pondered the situation. I think this is so important for us. I have it there on your worship guide notes for you. Please write this down and reflect upon it over the course of the weeks. Hit the brakes in your life and pray, okay? Hit the brakes for a second and just pray because hitting the brakes and assessing your situation, that might be the most spiritual thing that you do today. Just hit the brakes, pause, assess the situation. That might be the most spiritual thing you do today. Now, what do I mean by that? Because today we're particularly talking about finances. And before we get anywhere close to November 12th, I would encourage you to pump the brakes in your life and say, do I have a biblical understanding of stewardship? Do I handle appropriately all that the Lord has blessed me with? Or are there things that are off course in my life? Do I have the right biblical view of what it means to parent? Do I have the right biblical view of what it means to live the life that God has called me to be? And when you ponder those questions, and when you pray about those questions like Nehemiah did, it's been my experience the Lord brings clarity, doesn't he? When you stop to ponder things, the Lord brings clarity. When you hit the brakes in your life, there might be some areas in your life that are revealed to you by God that you need to work on. And when Nehemiah stopped in this moment, and just pondered the situation, it actually moved him to addressing what was wrong in the lives of his people. And he called them on it, and in verse 8, it says they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. The truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? They just kept quiet because they couldn't respond. They knew that what they were doing was not God-honoring. They knew that they were perpetuating injustice. And so what Nehemiah does is he doesn't just preach them a sermon, but he uses his own life and he shows them his own calling as an example of how they are to move forward and how they are to face something head on. And that's where we pick back up in verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields and vineyards and olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priests and I made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. And I also shook out the folds of my robe and I said, in this way, May God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may a person be shaken out and emptied. And at this, the whole assembly said, Amen. 
and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until this 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, they placed a heavy burden on the people, and they took 40 shekels of silver from them, in addition to food and wine. And their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of a reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of the wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land. See, Nehemiah says, I'm lending money to people, but I'm not going to charge them any interest. He said in verse 10 that this was a practice that wasn't inherently wrong to be lending them money. Just don't be charging them such exorbitant interest rates because they were trying to gain from the terrible situation that others were in. But more so than that, Nehemiah said, I don't want to put undue stress on my people. And so he takes it one step further because for 12 years he had been appointed governor here in the land of Judah. And there was a certain food allotment. That was his right that he was entitled to as the governor of Judah. Excessive amounts of food. And he said, the previous governors before me, they also abused the system. They preyed upon the people, and they also took all the food for themselves and just lived really fat and happy lives. It was awesome. And Nehemiah said, that's not the kind of life that I'm interested in living. I want to be different. And when you study Nehemiah, you begin to see a radical way to live that's so refreshing, isn't it? It's so refreshing to live counterculturally. You notice in Nehemiah this principle that is a constant battle for me, and maybe it's a constant battle for some of you as well. And you see it here on your notes that anyone can talk the talk, but not everyone can walk the walk. Can I get an amen? Anyone can talk the talk, but not everyone can walk the walk. Nehemiah wasn't interested in just lip service. He said, I want to set myself apart from the previous governors. I want to set myself apart from the previous style of leadership. Jesus shows us this model of living as well. I mean, go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus, to his own disciples, says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to lose his life Will, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says to be a follower of Christ, you have to die to your old way of living, and you have to commit to walk in the newness of life. You don't look like the world anymore, and the gospel transforms your life. I die to self, and I'm made new to walk in Christ. And I make that determination. I wake up every day and say, I don't want to be like the world, but I want to be like Jesus. It's not enough to just say that this is important to me. It's not enough just to say, stop it. But it's also about putting my faith to practice and walking the walk. This morning, I want you to hear from Pam Engel. Pam Engel serves so faithfully in the life of our church. And Pam is not someone who just talks the talk, but she puts it into practice. And I hope that her story here for just a couple minutes will inspire you to go do the same. Take a look. If you had asked me when I first got to Rolling Hills in 2014, what, would, what do I think it would look like in 2023, I would not have been able to imagine what it would look like now. It's the immeasurably more uh, concept. And uh, same thing now. I can't even imagine what God's going to do in the next 
10 years, 20 years at Rolling Hills. I just know that I've heard clearly that it's part of my job is to be able to set the platform, set the stage so that there is a space for God to do that. Hello, my name is Pam Ingle. My faith journey is an interesting story. I describe myself as a tumbling tumbleweed. So I uh, grew up in a retired military family. And what I mean by that is I think dad forgot he was retired. In serving at the church, uh, part of that is giving my time and my talents, but also it's important, I think, to give finances. Um, that's uh, clearly stated in the Bible for us to serve in that way and give in that way. Giving back to the church has never been a question for me. You just open the Bible and it says it right in there. When you are so clearly directed to do something, it's not for me to decide whether the answer is yes or no. It's for me to decide to actually follow what God is asking me to do. You can't outgive God. I challenge us to even try because he will always find a way to take care of his children. God is present at Rolling Hills. Uh, you can see it in the people's faces. You can hear it in their voices. You can see it in the kids that are growing up, hearing and learning about God. And heaven forbid that somebody not come to church because they showed up at Rolling Hills and there wasn't a seat for them. That's why it was important for me to ensure that all the believers in Middle Tennessee who are looking for a church home that find their way into Rolling Hills would find a comfortable place where they would be able to meet God. Christian organizations such as Rolling Hills, Christian bodies of believers like Rolling Hills had such a significant impact on my own faith journey when I was younger. Uh, uh, through that body of believers, I became a, a Christian myself. I, I think that's a primary mission of Rolling Hills is to be that body of believers that can come around a, you know, a 12, 13 year old young person who is, sees something different in those people around her and sees uh, friends and family in people who were just the day before strangers. So I am all in in supporting Rolling Hills and being that kind of place so that other people like myself can come to find Jesus. Pam says, so that other people like myself can come to find Jesus. I love that phrase because we all have the reasons for the things that we do. Pam does, and I do, and you do. And see, no decision or motivation that you ever make is in a vacuum. And my hope and my prayer is that you would move for the right reasons, that every time the Lord is stirring something in you and presented to you, that you would move for the right reasons. Now, for Nehemiah, this is why he moved. If you head back to verse 15, it says that, in verse 15, that the earlier governors, those preceding me, they placed a heavy burden on the people and they took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. And their assistance also lorded over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Nehemiah says, because God was the most important relationship, I'm going to choose to not squander my life. Because God is more important to me than anything else, I'm not going to make my life about myself. How about you and I? A good question to pose ourselves, as you see on the screen, is, is your motivation to do the right thing out of a reverence for God or a yearning for personal gain? Is your motivation to do the right thing out of a reverence for God or a yearning for personal gain? Because, see, true Christ-like character is interested in doing the right thing regardless of who's watching, saying, I want to be obedient to God out of a reverence and out of an awe for God, not just because I get something out of it. Is stealing okay as long as you don't get caught? Of course not. You would say it's wrong regardless if you get caught or not. Doing the right thing for God is not because of a blessing that you receive, 
but out of an awe and a reverence for God. Sometimes in church, if we're not careful, uh, it's easy for us to stand on stages and make these desperate-sounding pleas to you guys. And we don't ever intend to sound desperate, but it is desperate that you care about the needs of other people. And it is a desperate need for evangelism. And there's always an ongoing need for more volunteers to step up in family ministry, for example. It's a desperate need that we adopt a biblical view of generosity. And those requests, honestly, are never going to stop coming your way. But what I hope you hear in those moments is not desperate plea. But what I hope you hear in those moments is that when I take a step of obedience to God first and to be faithful to what he asked first, that that would be motivation enough. And that truly there is something, be it peace and contentment, that comes that supersedes anything else that I'm ever going to receive. That's the way that Nehemiah was living and the way that he instructs us to live. Head back to the text, verse 16. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. And each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. And in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah says, instead of being a royal who's not involved in the lives of people and who doesn't want to just live excessively, the the life that Nehemiah lived looks like this. He said, I devoted myself to the work on the wall, and I sought to be different from the world around me. When I think about my life, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want my life to be devoted to the right things. And whether I have three days left on earth or 30 days left on earth or 30 years or 50 years, I hope that's how many I have left. I want it to be said about me that Jason loved God and wanted to be about what God wanted him to be about. I want it to be said about me that I didn't stand in the way of what God wanted to do. I certainly want it to be said about me that he didn't think he was smarter than God. I want it to be said about me that he loved his wife, Jacqueline, and that he loved his children more than himself. And I want it to be said about me that he loved people. And I want it to be said about me that he tried his best to point people to a life with Jesus. And honestly, if that can be said about me, that is more than enough. But what I've come to realize is that for that to be said about me, I can't wait until I'm almost dead to start preparing for that. I have to start that now. As you see here on your notes, the best time to start preparing for what you want to do is well before the action is needed. The best time for you and I to start preparing for what we want to do as well before the action is needed. Why we choose to unpack Nehemiah so often in connection to leadership and calling and being faithful is that Nehemiah had a history of making the right decisions. I mean, in this case, it said he pondered the situation before he went and talked to the other nobles who were doing things wrong. Back in chapter 1, he prayed before he went to the king and asked for permission to go back to Israel. In chapter 2, when he arrives back in Jerusalem, instead of just kind of going full force, he stopped and went out into the city by himself to assess the situation around him. He has a history of preparation before action. And if you and I want to live a life of service, which I hope that we all do, we can't just wait until it's convenient to live a life of service. Because when has one year been less busy than the one before? When have you ever had a year that was less busy than the one before? I'll wait. 
I don't see any hands going up, so I assume that we can all attest to that. How about when it comes to generosity? Most of us would probably say, of course I want to be a generous person. I want to tithe, and I want to give above and beyond my tithes to initiatives like Next and to ministries, but I'm going to do that once I get a little bit more financially stable. And I do understand that line of reasoning. I really do. But when was the last time you spent less money year over year? When was the last time that your HVAC unit just started working better with time? When is the last time that your kid's crooked teeth just fixed themselves without braces? Or when's the last time you showed up at the orthodontist and the orthodontist said, you look like a nice lady, we'll just give them to you free today. It doesn't happen. Why? Because there's always something vying for our attention. There's always something vying for our time. There's always something vying for our finances. And Nehemiah kept his head in the game. And when the time came, he was ready. And the vision that we're laying out behind these initiatives means that when November 12th comes, you're not thinking about generosity for the first time, but rather you're thinking about it now. And I genuinely hope that whether it's generosity or the growing in a spiritual discipline or growing in your relationships with others or growing in that continued courage to invite people to church or growing with a reprioritization in my family, if you know what, I'm going to choose my family over this path that I am on, that you would make a move in that direction today. Because I don't believe that making the right decision ever gets easier with time. It only becomes more challenging. Nehemiah actually dealt with this specific thing, and he gives us this example. I mean, if you go back to the end of the text, it says in verse 18 that each day one ox and six choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Each day, there was an ox, six sheep, chickens, and abundant wine at his disposal. I mean, he basically has a veritable Golden Corral buffet in his home at any given time for him. Yet, he says, I never demanded that food because the demands on my people were too great. And he asked the Lord to remember him with favor because of these attitudes and actions. And Nehemiah surfaces something here that is so radical from a worldly perspective, but is so common from a biblical perspective. The world will think this principle is so radical, and if you choose to live this way, the world will think you have lost it. But God says that it's the way that you and I should seek to live because it's normal from a godly perspective. As you see here on your notes, just because you're entitled to something doesn't mean you're entitled to use it all for yourself. Just because you're entitled to something doesn't mean you're entitled to use it all for yourself. I mean, you have a job, and you get paid for that job, or you should, otherwise you're a volunteer. And you are entitled to all of that money minus the government, right? I mean, you're entitled to do whatever you want to with it. You get an inheritance from your parents. You're entitled to it. You get a bonus at work. You are entitled to the entirety of that bonus. No one can make you do anything that you do not want to do with it. Again, minus the government. It's yours for the taking. So when God asked us to be generous, when God asked us to test him and see if he will not pour out the storehouses of heaven on us when we are faithful with our resources, God is asking us to let go of something that we are rightly entitled to. And when I'm asked to let go of something that I'm rightly entitled to, those are fighting words. And I reject that. And I don't like that. 
I would dare to say that some of you might have been a little squirmy today. You showed up for the first time and you're like, great, I showed up at a church that talked about money. Jesus talked a lot about it. Did you know next to sin, it's talked about in the Bible more than anything? Why? Because Jesus knew it was going to be the chief competitor of our heart. And if you're squirmy this morning, that was never my case and never my hope. And if you are a little bit squirmy, perhaps it's not this initiative that's making you squirmy. It's not the questions or it's not the what do we do or whatnot, when in reality, that tug that I feel or that tug that you may feel, it may have less to do with the specifics, and it may have more to do with the fact that I'm just grappling with, of which I grapple with, and maybe you grapple with as well, I'm just grappling with, I'm being asked to give something that I think I'm entitled to. Enter the gospel. The gospel, Jesus' love for us, means that we have to walk away from what we are entitled to, because I'm entitled to live however I want to live. I can sin, I can live it up, I can do whatever I want to do. And Jesus says, no, you have to flee from that and take a different path. Praise God, something happens when we trust God with our lives, doesn't it? Be it a salvation decision or a baptism decision or a move towards generosity, these steps in our life is what really brings us fulfillment. Loving is truly the only way to grasp what life is about. Following God is the only relationship that I have that truly brings contentment, like nothing else and no one else ever will. And so this morning, if you feel like you're being asked or pulled or nudged or pushed into something that might seem difficult or that might seem challenging to you, do you know what? That's okay. Because God loves to meet you right there in the challenge. God loves to meet you right there in the midst of your questions. God loves to meet you in those moments when you don't think it's possible to be who he has called you to be. That's squarely where the Lord wants to meet you. And so my hope and my prayer is that you would lean into him today. In fact, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment because I don't know where you are on your journey, but I know that you are not here by accident. And I believe that there might be someone here today that doesn't have that relationship with God. And I'm going to pray that God would make it so clear to you the steps that you want to take. Or maybe you're here and you've yet to step out in faith to trust God or to take a next step of baptism. Or maybe God's stirring in your heart today and said, you know what, I really do want to handle my talents and my treasures and my resources the way that God would want me to handle them. So I don't know where you are on that journey, but I want to pray that God would make that step to you so abundantly clear. And if he's working on you in any area of your life right now, by a sign of worship, may you just submit to him. And may you catch that glimpse of what further obedience looks like. And may all of us have the courage and may all of us have the faith to obey wherever the Lord is asking us to obey. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.